Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. It's exciting to to look at the life of Christ. And uh, we began looking at the book of Matthew about a month ago. And we've um, considered the, the preparation phase, if you would, of the ministry of Messiah. Um, as we begin focusing on him. And we've seen his lineage, his birth. We've seen the forerunner, John the Baptist. And then last week we began looking at that inaugural preparation, almost his consecration. It's hard to, hard to think of Jesus being consecrated um, because he was God. But yet the, the time of his baptism and then the 40 days in the wilderness of him being tempted and tried and troubled by, by Satan and coming out victorious. And today we, we slide into immediately the the beginning of his ministry okay that jesus comes in and and immediately um he just hits the ground running and we're told that right off the bat that it was right after a specific event anybody pick it up when john went to prison okay so john is his cousin john is arrested by herod and put in prison herod thinks what It's over. Yeah. I've what? I squelched it. (laughs) You just what? You just hatched it. (laughs) You get it? I mean, it's kind of fun. Is that the world thinks that when they can what? They can stomp it out. All they do is open it up more. The reality is throughout history, throughout history, the gospel has gone forth in, in greater numbers through persecution. Okay? When it's like America. What's going on in America? Apathy. Why? Because we have everything. Persecution comes to our shores again. Those who are real will start to come out. And people will begin to realize, Gerald, thinking of your testimony, right? All of a sudden, people begin to realize the importance of truth. And what the difference is in the truth. Just that too many, too many uh, believers today are camouflaged. And they don't, they don't look any different. So Jesus comes out, and he begins his ministry in a place called Capernaum. Okay? We know it as Capernaum. Okay? But I love this, and I just want to do a little aside on this thing. Not like it's huge, but just the name of this city is huge. Jesus could have started his ministry any place. Uh, Peter and, and Andrew, who he's going to choose first, they're literally from Bethsaida. We read that in John chapter 1. Okay, So he could have gone any place. In fact, he was from where? Nazareth. But they rejected him in Nazareth. So Jesus decided to choose the city of Capernaum okay, as the place of his, his ministry headquarters. And you can see it. I have it on your sermon note sheets. It's in Hebrew. I know it's like nothing to you, maybe. For some of you, it may mean something. Okay, But I also have the transliteration of it. Kafernachem, okay? And so that's also the prophet Nahum, okay? It's just that it's a, it's a cheth in the middle there. It's a clearing out your throat, cheth, okay? And so everybody, we're working together. No, no, it's just showing you. Okay. Um, just put your hand like this so that the person behind you, when they're doing it, you know, anyways. But <laughs> you got to know. Okay, anyways. So anyways, Nachem, right? And so anyways, but the words... Literally, so the word nacham, okay, literally is the word for a deep sighing. It can be translated consolation. It can be translated repent. But literally, it's when you just go, 
It's just in that does something. Does that make sense? It's a deep sighing that causes a response. Now it may cause you do you ever we Marcia said to me last night, she says, you need to go to sleep. Anyways, I, somehow my brain got onto abnormalities of, of people that make you sad, that just make you groan. And I thought of Siamese twins. And I just, that always just, I groan when I think of two people conjoined. What if one gets saved and the other one doesn't? I mean, you know, just, she says, you need to go to sleep. <laughs> you need to think about something different and go to sleep. Because your brain's going to spin on this all night. And it probably did. Anyways. But there are things that just make me... I don't... What do you, what do, you do with it? You know? You just you start meditating on this stuff and you just... Uh, there are times when I meditate on God. The eternality of God. The ever going on and on and on. I mean, like, what's, what's infinity plus one? <sighs> what's infinity? What's eternity? King, in that role, yeah, but see, you're describing it based upon time. But God's outside of time, space, and matter, so eternity goes with space and eternity goes with matter. Can you comprehend? I can't. <sighs> That's Nachem. Do you get it? That's Nachem. And so, it, 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 when you think of your sin, and you think of the grace of God, and you, you what? You do something about it. And so it's translated repent, as well, sometimes in the Old Testament. There's the word sur in the Old Testament, okay, in Hebrew, which literally means to turn. Okay, that's what we, some, that's epistrepho in the Greek, that sometimes you think about it. But the primary word we know that Jesus is getting ready to say Right? Repent is the word. Come on. Metanoia. Okay, you guys ought to know this by now, right? Metanoia. Meta, change. Noia, the way you think. Change the way you think. What happens? You come face to face with who you are, and you what? And it forces you to change the way you think. The word kefir is the word village. Jesus is going to start his ministry with his message of what? Repentance. Where? In the village of repentance. In the village of the deep sighing. I think this is pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, did, did the city get called this because he was going to do this? Did he choose that? Because I don't know, man. I just thought it was a really pretty cool fact, okay? So I could have shared it during testimony time, but I thought I'd, since I was preaching, I'd share it now. Anyways. And so it's just a little side. It's kind of fun when you study the Word of God and all these little nuggets are just there. They're hiding behind for you to find, you know? And so if you just kind of read it, I mean, that's good. Just read it, okay? But go beyond it, you know? Just take some time and, and ask yourself, wonder what this means. And, you know, let the Holy Spirit just kind of guide you a little bit. And it's kind of fun. Anyways, fun little fact. So the place, this is the village of repenting, Okay? Numbers 23, verse 19, this is that word. God is not like a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should. (sighs) Nachem, that he should repent. Comfort. (sighs) Comfort, yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak, what? (sighs) Comfort, 
Elev to the heart of Jerusalem and cry out, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. Literally, the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and will be seen by all flesh. And in John chapter 1, we read about Jesus, right? The word became flesh and he what? He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Okay? And so... John was going to come, okay? And again, we say, comfort ye, comfort ye. But it doesn't mean to comfort. Literally, it means make them sigh. Make them, make them. Because <sighs> he goes on, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Speak, these, speak it to the heart of the people. And that's what Jesus is getting ready to do. John came and he preached what? Repent for the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heavens. Right, Matthew, in Luke, the kingdom of God, right? Because the kingdom of heavens is? It's at hand. But what did we say back then? Remember? We went through it. It was in a perfect sense. It has already come. It's here. Jesus was born, and therefore the kingdom of the heavens, or the kingdom of God, is what? It's here. Wherever the king is, there is his kingdom. And so Jesus then... Uh, continues on with it. And we're told that Jesus was going to come in this place, in the Galilee of the what? The Gentiles. How fun is this? Okay. Again, as Jesus comes, he is continually fulfilling prophecy. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes you, know, you go through some of these Old Testament prophets and, and the prophecies, and you begin to think, how on earth are all these things going to what? Come together. Well, Jesus what? Brought them all together. Do you ever look at the prophecies that still are yet to be fulfilled and ask yourself, how on earth are all these things going to come together? In the exact same way? I don't know. I can't tell you how it's going to happen. I just know that hindsight being what? 2020, that a thousand years from now, I'll I'll put it out there and say a thousand years from now. Maybe it'll be 5,000, maybe 10,000. Maybe it'll be one day. Maybe it'll be by the end of, yes, right, exactly. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Whenever it is, right, we'll know. Hindsight being what? 2020. And we will be in awe of what our God has done. Because God knew exactly how it was all going to play out. We just look at it and say, what? I can't comprehend this. So, Jesus was going to come. He was going to be a Nazarene, right? He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come out of Egypt. But then he's going to begin his ministry where? In the Galilee of the... Gentiles. And sure enough, where does he come? Into the Galilee of the the Gentiles. So the people there walking in darkness will be able to see a what? A great light. How cool is that? Do you get the importance of this little fact? Okay, stop for a moment. Go back. Very beginning. What book are we studying? Matthew. He's a what? Who's he writing to? About About a Jew. And yet he feels it's very important to let us know that the Jewish Messiah's ministry is going to fulfill the words of Isaiah going to who? To the Gentiles. Pretty cool stuff. Okay? I don't know about you, but I'm a Gentile. So this, I'm, I'm pretty thankful for this moment. Okay? And we read about then the grace of God in this. Look at what, what plays out. This Jewish ministry, this Jewish Messiah, is going to come out then 
to these Gentiles, who the rest of the Jews would want to what? What do the Jews think of the Gentiles? They're trash. That's exactly right. They're not even people. Okay? I mean, the Samaritans are, are half-breeds. The Gentiles, they're not even a people. But the Jewish Messiah comes, the grace of God. Not according to the law, but according to faith and according to grace. And he comes, and he's going to bring this out. And he's going to give it. He comes to them. They don't ask him for it, but he comes to them. All right, so we move on. Proclamation. The call to repentance, metanoia. I just mentioned it. Okay, we talked about it a lot when we went through John. Okay, And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it again now. But again, Jesus continues in the same teaching as the prophets. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you'll ultimately change the way you act. Okay, And then he goes on, and he talks about... Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you look later on, okay, down, drop down to verse, um, where am I at? Um, verse 23, Jesus went, so we'll skip the section about Peter and, and, uh, and James and John and Andrew. Verse 23 says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the kingdom of or preaching the gospel, sorry, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness, okay? So, Jesus then begins this teaching, the same teaching as John the Baptist. What's Jesus' proclamation? It's the good news of what? The kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. That causes a lot of people to struggle sometimes, okay? What's the kingdom? We talked about this a little bit when we went through with uh, John. There were, what, three kingdoms, remember? What's the first kingdom? I'm not saying anything. Come on. Good, which is the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens. Okay, that's what he's talking about, right? That's where God reigns, okay? What's the next kingdom that we normally think about with Israel specifically? The what? Okay. Well, I don't want to necessarily call it the kingdom of God because honestly, there are some dispensationalists who would separate between the kingdom of the heavens and the kingdom of God. And I think I showed very clearly that they're used interchangeably in the Gospels. But they would refer to them to the kingdom of God being the, the uh, millennial reign of Christ. Okay? That kingdom where Christ is reigning. Okay? But there's a third kingdom. <laughs> in our hearts. It's exactly right. It's the spiritual kingdom that's in our heart. Christ already is reigning. He is reigning. He shall reign and he always will reign. Do you get it? It never has changed. It's not like, okay, we're waiting for Christ to reign. He already is reigning. Does it make sense? It may not be a physical, on a physical throne in, in, in physical Israel, but he is reigning. Okay? And so Jesus begins to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And again, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit as we get into the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? But a lot of dispensationalists, and again, I'm a dispensationalist. You know that because I just taught on dispensationalism. Okay? But a lot of dispensationalists don't want to include the teachings of Jesus for us at all. They don't want to talk about it in the church because that's millennial teaching. That's kingdom teaching teaching and we're the church 
And so for us, it begins after the Gospels. And so they include the Gospels in this little blob that's for the kingdom later. i got a problem with that. Whenever God speaks, it's better than E. of Hutton. You older folk get that one, okay? Anyways, you younger ones, just you know, Google E.F. Hutton and, and commercial, old commercial. Anyways, and you'll get it, okay? Anyways, they used to say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Anyways, but God's words are what? Beyond E.F. Hutton's words, okay? And so when, when Jesus speaks, I think it's what? I think, I think it's important. I don't know what you think. But I think it's very important, okay? In his kingdom teaching, if it's what he's expecting in his kingdom, does that make sense? And I'm supposed to be submissive to him as my king? I would think that's sort of important to me. And he calls it what? What's he call it? Good news. I know you see it, the gospel. But... The gospel literally is the word euangelion, okay, in the, in the, in the Greek, u meaning good, elangelion, a message. It's a good message. Where did the word gospel come from? Anybody know? Godspell, okay? It comes from the Bretons. I've shared this, right? So they're in the Bretons, and, and the, the Christian missionaries go up there, and the, and the pagans receive this message from the Christian missionaries, and their lives change. What did all the other pagans think? They were under a... Godspell. Okay? They were under this Godspell. And so you Godspell. So, like, goodbye, literally, it used to mean God be with ye. Okay? That's where you take the B and the, the Y-E. It wasn't by, it was be with ye. And it was just combined. Okay? So, anyways. So, you, I love language origins here. Okay? So, anyways. So, Gospel literally came from the word Godspell, which was a good thing. It was good message. It was a good message that was given. These people received the good message and their lives were, were changed. Well, Jesus said, he proclaimed the good news, the good message of the kingdom. Okay? Now, when he went out, okay, proclaiming this message, he literally had a three-prong ministry. Okay? I want you to look down at verse 23. Is that what I just read? Verse 23? Is that right? Yes. Thank you. What's... How many verbs are in it? It's a trick. This is a trick question. I'm letting you know it's a trick question. How many verbs? How many say four? Okay. Zoe, how many verbs are there? Oh, you don't have your Greek in front of you. How many verbs? Come on. This is just like Matthew 28. There's one. That's exactly right. Good job, David. I told you it's a trick question. You can't tell it from the English. There's only one verb. Guess what the verb is? Went. Yeah, he went. He went. Everything else is a participle. It's a picture. It's a verbal picture explaining how he went. He went proclaiming. Well, first of all, yeah, proclaiming. He went proclaiming, he went teaching, and he went what? Healing. Those are the stuff he did when he went. Now, again, he's going to ask us, we're going to see in a moment, he's going to ask people to follow him, right? Okay? So if I follow him, that means I'm, I should be, in a sense, doing what? What What he's doing. Yes, it kind of makes sense, right? I'm, you know, and so this is what he did as he went. 
What did he do when he went? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He taught people about God and the kingdom. And then he healed people. Now, I understand, you know, we may not, boom, boom, boom. But he used his words, he used his touch, he used his actions to do what? To heal. I was reading Ephesians 4 with another couple this week. And again, just mindful of my words. Again, how my words, okay, need to bring health to people. You can tear people down or you can build people up. Isn't that what, again, James um, chapter is it two or three talks about how the, the tongue can be chapter James three, the tongue can be like burning down forests or it can be um, healing people. Jesus didn't go to tear people down. He went and healed them. He gave them good news, not bad news. He was focused on the kingdom of God, and it challenges me. And I ask myself. So as I'm going about. How would my life be described? What are my focuses of my life? Am I proclaiming? Am I teaching? Am I healing? Oh, forgot I had that there. Anyways, that's what I just thought, what she said. But then we get into this, this third part, and this is the promise. The promise that he, he gives, um, and we can look at it as a, as a challenge, but it's, it's really a promise. And, and what I want to focus on, first of all, is the command, right? The command is, come after me. I know it says what? Follow me. But literally it means, come behind me. It's literally in the Greek if you bring, come behind me. So it's, um, we, um, kids, on the one, when Wednesday nights, right, we do, um, I may never march in the infantry, right? And what do we, how do we do that? When we do, I may never march in the infantry. You got to do what? Follow me, right? And we all, okay, so it's like playing follow the leader, follow the leader, okay? And if we played follow the leader, and we know what we're going to do when we do, I mean, never march in the infantry, but what if I started doing something different, you know? <laughs> then if we're playing follow the leader, we're supposed to what? Do what they do. It's kind of like Simon says, right? Okay? So that's, in a sense, what Jesus is telling them. Come in behind me. Come after me. I'm like the mother duck. And you're like the ducklings. Come in behind me. Okay? So follow me. Follow me. That's, that's the command. So there's a command. But, but then he goes on. And he makes them a commitment. He makes them a promise. Don't miss it. Follow me. Come in behind me. Come in after me. And I will. I will. Make you fishers of men. This kind of stuck me for a moment, too. Do you get the other half of that part? There's an if-then statement happening here, isn't there? If you follow me, then I will what? Make you fishers of men. Okay, so you math nerds, you know, you, you logistics and, you know, logical thinkers and, and all this kind of stuff. Let's take that. And let's do the other side of that if-then statement. Yeah. If you don't follow me, I'm not going to make you a fisher of men. So I want to flip that. I can't, my mind's blanking out right now on when I take the, the then and the if and I flip them. No, it's not the be in logic, but no, it's not the if-then now. No, no, if I take the if-then and I flip it, 
if, if, it, if it's raining, we're going to get wet. If we're, if we're getting wet, then it's raining. It's called the converse. converse. So, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. If you follow me. So think of that negative then, negative converse. If you're not becoming a fisher of men, ouch, then you must not be following me. That's a pretty good ouch. I don't know if you caught that one, but that, that nailed me. It's right between the eyes. When I'm not thinking about people, when I'm not caring about healing people, when I'm not caring about proclaiming the message so people can hear that message, when I'm not going overtly out to be a fisher of men, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a second, then I'm not what? I'm not really following. And I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but it's true. It's the mind of Christ to put the needs of others above my own. That's what my Lord did. So, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I led a, a men's retreat in Canada for 20 years, right? A fishing retreat. And I'm from the city of Pittsburgh. I never went fishing. That's kind of fun, right? How to lead a fish. And so, well, what happened? Well, I had a guy who took me up originally. And he was. I mean, he could put his toe in the water and pull that fish, you know? Now, it's not a good thing up there because they were pike. They had big teeth and everything. But you don't want that. Um, but he's just that kind of guy. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, you know, I mean... I mean, I saw him once, you know, and he, we're just, we're kind of, not docked, but we're up by a cabin, and he just started going like this with his his lure, you know, and all of a sudden this big nine-pound, no, well, it wasn't only nine-pound, you know, maybe it was, it was huge, pike, just, it was huge, this pike, just, there, he said, well, he says, I kind of cheated, and I said, cheated what? He said, I, I saw it in the water. I could see fish in the water, but I don't get them on the boat. <laughs> And I don't get them on the boat going. Some people are just what? They're just born fishermen, aren't they? Other of us, we use dynamite. Anyways. <laughs> no, for real. Others, we have to, we have to learn. D- does that make sense? You've got to have somebody who's going to what? Teach you. And so over those years, even though I led it, I had the fortune of having like a Bass Pro guy coming up and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and having the Lord use different guys to teach me, you know, so I could understand where the bass habitat was and all this kind of stuff. And it was just kind of fun for me to be able to learn as I went. And, and I realized all those things, how they apply to then being a fisher of men. But the core of the whole thing, in order to catch that bass, in order to catch that walleye, in order to catch that, that pike, okay, there were two things that were prerequisites. I mean, I could have a beautiful spinner, white, you know, that had the, the, the white, um, white skirt on it with a, with a red, red uh, worm coming out of it. Canada, they like them up there. I don't know why is that, but they like that white with the red. You know, they just bam, bam, bam. And so you could use all, but that's meaningless. Two things that had to happen before that. Well, no, that's, you're still going there. No. First of all, I had a want to go fishing. If I didn't want to go fishing, 
I wasn't going to catch anything anyway, right? What was the second thing? I had to go fishing. That's exactly I could want to go fishing, but I'm still sitting in my living room. It doesn't matter. But then I got to go on the boat. And I got to do what? Sit. No. I got to what? I got to cast my line out. Yeah, cast my net. Yeah. Cast my line out there in order to catch something. If, if I don't go out to fish, I'm not going to catch any fish. It just kind of makes sense, right? Unless I go to the fish market and say, throw them to me, then I can say, I caught them, right? And uh, that's what a lot of us <laughs> I caught fish today. What's that? Go to Seattle. Yeah, that's market where they say you can catch fish. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyways, so Jesus said, though, if you follow me, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to be your redneck mentor, if you would. I'm going to teach you how to fish. Greg's gone. I wish Greg was here. Greg, Greg is my, my redneck mentor. I mean, I mean, and uh, he taught me how to hunt, taught me how to fish. It's just a lovely thing. It really is. It's really kind of cool. Okay? But Jesus, spiritually speaking, makes me that promise. I'll make you it. You just have to what? Come in behind me. You just got to follow me. Watch what I do. So, what I want to challenge you as we continue on in the book of Matthew, I want you to look at what Jesus does. Because he's going to be teaching his disciples how to fish in the rest of this book. Make sense? And we may not be able to focus on that aspect of it every time we go, but I just want you to think about it. Throughout this book, because he's getting ready to call some fishermen to really fish. And the promise is He's not going to have them fish for fish. He's going to have them fish for men. But they've never done that before. So he's going to teach them. So, the conclusion? Immediately. Now, we don't read this just about Peter and Andrew. We also read it about James and John. Immediately, they left their nets. They left their business. I'm going to go there. That's exactly right. They left their business... And they left their father. They left the boat. That was their livelihood. They were fishermen. How are they going to make a living? It's kind of hard. We know Peter had a wife, yes? Because he had a mother-in-law. It kind of makes sense, right? It's kind of hard to have the mother-in-law if you don't have the wife. Okay? So they go to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law has the headache. Remember, Jesus heals. We're gonna, we'll see that, I think, in a few weeks. Okay? And so... So, um, so there's Peter, right? He's got a family, and he's walking away from his livelihood. Believing that Jesus is going to what? Take care of him. How cool is this? Now, what did they immediately start to do? They left the boat. They left their father. They followed him. In John chapter 1, and you can go check me out on this um, later if you want, or whatever, in fact, let's just go there. Let's go to John 1. Let's go, let's go to John 1 so you can see it. Okay? This is really kind of fun stuff. In John 1, and I want you to go down to uh, verse 35. 
He says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This is John the baptizer, John the immerser, right? In looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, Excuse me, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So apparently, Andrew already has what? A background with Jesus. Make sense? So when Jesus talks to them, right, and they go, he already knows who Jesus is. Make sense? Okay. We'll talk about this in a moment. He first found his own brother, Simon. That's, we know as who? Peter, right? And said to him, we have found Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip... Listen to this. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. What did he say? We, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, of, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Then Jesus sees Nathanael. I want you to think about something for a moment here. This story there in John 1 all focuses on one individual. I'm not talking about Jesus. Who's the one individual? Andrew. Andrew. Andrew was so focused that he was following John the Immerser. Right? John the Immerser sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God. So Andrew says what? This is the guy to come in after. This is the guy to follow. And he's following him. And you know what he immediately starts doing? He starts telling him. He starts proclaiming the good news, doesn't he? He, begins, he tells Peter. I think he probably told Philip. He's from the same city. And he happens to be there in the same spot. Later on, we see when the Gentiles want to talk to Jesus... They don't go to Peter, they don't go to James, they don't go to John, they go to Philip and Andrew. They kind of go together. That's why he's called Andrew Philip, because they go together. Okay, They're always together. Andrew was the key to all this stuff. But you know, isn't it kind of funny, we don't have a book of Andrew? We don't have a book of Philip? And yet, they're the ones that initially Jesus was using to spread the word. So when Jesus comes along the, the, the... the seashore, he sees Peter and Andrew. We focus on Peter because Peter's the what? The pillar. He's the rock. But he knew of Jesus because of gentle Andrew, or whoever Andrew is, right? And they immediately what? They go. I think they immediately go because of Andrew's influence. And then there's right next door, James and John. A lot of people believe that the other person that was with Andrew was John, he as well had this 
So they immediately go and they follow. But what does then, what does Andrew do? He tells Philip. What does Philip do? He tells Nathaniel. Do you see how this plays out? They didn't go to seminary. They hadn't followed Jesus three years yet. Who were they to think that they had enough knowledge to share the gospel with anybody? They probably didn't do the way of the master with Ray Comfort. I don't know if they properly went through the Ten Commandments to prove to these individuals they were sinners and that they really needed a Messiah to come for them. They just knew they had what? Some good news. And they wanted to, they wanted to share it. And the good news was about Jesus. They didn't have to know everything. They just needed to know what they knew. And then they needed to be willing to what? Get out on the lake and throw in the line. And allow God to put a fish at the end of it. I'm very Calvinistic when it comes to fishing. I'm not a good fisherman, so I blame God. Anyways, (laughs) God doesn't want me to catch fish today. (laughs) Whatever, I'm joking. But you get what I'm saying. In the end, isn't that true? I mean, I can see a good stump. It's a great stump. There's got to be a bass at the base of that stump. And they're hitting on chartreuse and orange today. So I got a chartreuse and orange spinnerbait on. And I plop that thing right at the base of that stump. You're getting it, aren't you, Gerald? You're tracking with it. The rest, some of the other ones, you're looking at me like, huh? But fisherman, you got that one. And I'm putting it right where, as it comes to the base of that stump, that bass, out of, and I've seen bass do this. The pro bass guy I had with me, I said to him, I said, I said, we can't leave until you catch the bass from that stump. He, man, he did exactly that. He put that puppy just coming straight down there. And that bass came shooting out. Now, at this point, we hadn't seen a whole lot of bass up in Canada. My eyes were probably bigger than anybody else's. Because I was just kind of harassing them, you know, a big pro-bass fisherman, you know. We can't leave until we catch the bass from that stump. He went like that, and that bass came flying up out of the water. The snap, boom, hit that thing. I do that. My lord gets wet. <laughs> I teach it to swim as it comes back to me. Some water, some so, but God, getting curious. I, I don't know how many fish I'm going to catch. Does that make sense? That's not for me to worry about. My job's to what? Go fishing. It's just go fishing. And trust God to tell me what lure to pull out of the, uh, out of the, the tackle box and put on. I could be just stirring the water for somebody to get the attention of the fish if somebody else pulls it out. For real. That, that's happened. Make sense? It doesn't matter. Especially when we're in Canada... I don't, eat, I don't like eating fish anyway. So it didn't matter to me if I caught it or not. If I didn't catch a fish, I didn't have to clean it. I didn't have to eat it. We had chicken, we had hamburgers, we're good. Okay? But the reality is, as you go out and you meet your neighbors, you meet your friends, you meet the people in Walmart, all you're supposed to do is what? Cast them to the Lord. Cast them to the Lord. Cast them to the Lord. And God's the one who what? Gives the increase. So, what would you have done if you were Peter or Andrew, James or John? Would you have followed? Jesus said, come after me. I'll make you fishers of men. They left everything. What would you have done? This is, again, remember, the questions I ask you are only because I'm getting nailed by them myself. And I share the wealth card, okay? Are you willing to leave your occupation and family to follow Messiah? 
Are you willing? That's a hard question. Are you increasingly becoming burdened for the people of the world? Again, if you're following the master and that's his burden, your burdens will become, or his burdens will become your burdens. Do you have a desire to become a fisher of men? How exciting is the kingdom of God to you? And then finally, oh, oh, it's Sunday morning. You know, this is actually purple. This is really kind of interesting that it's not, it's like, whoa, what happened to this color here? Is Sunday morning the only time that you believe that you are near it? Near what? The kingdom of God. And then is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you have made us the promise, Lord, that you are going to come and you're going to teach us. Lord, we know that when you left, you told us that you would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, and that he was going to lead us into all truth, and that we wouldn't have to worry about what we're going to say in that day because he would put words in our mouths. Lord, I trust you by faith that you will do that. But Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful and help us as a body to be faithful, Lord, to desire to walk after you, to follow you, to follow your lead, Lord, to go out and to fish. Lord, just to throw in the lore and to trust you for the increase. I pray, Lord, for this neighborhood of ours. And I pray for the neighborhoods that are represented in in the assembly today. Lord, that you will show them to be white unto harvest. And that would be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.